Hi, this is John Ankerberg, and today I want to present to you my very, very good friend, Dr. Wayne Barber. For 18 years, he was pastor of the huge Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was co-teacher with Kay Arthur for 14 years at Precept Ministries. He studied with Dr. Spiro Zodiades and co-hosted with him the national radio and TV program, New Testament Light, for 10 years. Wayne has taught the message of living grace which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, all around the world. He is president, founder, and principal speaker of Living Grace Ministries. And in February of 2011, he returned to Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, as senior pastor. Wayne's authored several books. The most recent one is entitled Living Grace, Letting Jesus Be Jesus in You. And he has also co-authored The Following God, series of studies published by AMG. I hope that you'll enjoy listening to Dr. Wayne Barber. Turn with me if you will. Back to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Boy, you say, Wayne, <laughs> you don't change much, do you? No, I don't. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Tonight we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 15, and I'm going to entitle this, The Danger of Spiritual Deception, Part 3. The Bad and the ugly is what I want to entitle this tonight, The Bad and the Ugly. There's one of those uh, low-budget, shoot-em-up Western movies that came out about 20-some years ago, and it was called The Good, The Bad, and The What? And The Ugly, you remember it too. For some reason, when I was studying this, that title just kept coming back in my mind out of nowhere. I think what it was, it was the contrast in the title, The Good but then contrasting with that, the bad and the ugly. You see, when it comes to people who are supposed to be teaching God's Word, I'm very sorry to say that in Christianity, what some people call it today, we have the good, the bad, and the ugly. We've seen the good. We've seen the Apostle Paul, and we've looked at his heart, and we've looked at his humility, and what a beautiful thing God has done in his life. But today we're going to see the other side of the coin, the bad and the ugly. Contextually, Paul, at the risk of inviting some more criticism to himself, chooses to do something interesting. He chooses to use his own life as an example to contrast what's going on with the false teachers in Corinth. You see, Paul detested ever talking about himself and about his own credentials. This was uncomfortable for him. He told us, and we know this is his heart, that only the people that God commends are approved. Not, it doesn't matter who man commends or not. It's who God commends. And so this was very uncomfortable for him. But for the sake of the people at Corinth, the believers, who were being subjected to this false teaching, he crosses the line that he's drawn for himself, and he uses his own life to contrast the dangerous false teachers that are there. In verses 8 through 12 of chapter 11, we have seen that it, this, he's made a, a, a huge decision not to take even a dime from the church of Corinth or from any of the churches of Achaia for his livelihood. He's not going to take any support from them at all. But, and I want to make sure you understand this. Jesus, as well as Paul, championed the fact that those who teach the Word of God should be taken care of financially, not as a payment for preaching or teaching, but as support for their livelihood because they spend most of their time in study and in preparation. In fact, Paul even says in Galatians, give them double honor. 
But God gave discernment to Paul beyond what Paul could have come up with. Paul discerned in his spirit that the church of Corinth, the rich church of Corinth, had a huge problem when it came to money. And so therefore, he chose not to take anything from them. The, the problem was even made more serious by the false teachers. And by the way, remember, the false teachers charged for the people to come and hear them say what they said. Evidently, these false teachers had even accused Paul of robbing the church when it came to this offering for the poor he was taking up for the, for the poor saints in Jerusalem. He wasn't just taking it up in Corinth. He was, he was taking it up in, in many areas. Perhaps this explains, as we've, as we've sort of hinted at and looked at before, why Paul didn't go and take up the offering himself. And he sent Titus and some of the other brethren as a, as a little group to go and, and take the offering up. All Paul was going to do was come by, pick it up, and take it to Jerusalem. Well, verse 12 says, But what I am doing, I will continue to do. And what he's saying and referring to here is Paul's going to continue to refuse taking any money from the church of Corinth and, and actually <clears throat> from any of the churches in Achaia. Achaia, member of the southern part of Greece. <clears throat> and by doing this, what he's doing, he's cutting off the opportunity of his critics. You see, by doing this, he, he keeps the false teachers from using money as a ploy uh, to, and to criticize him with that. He says in verse 12, but what I'm doing I'll continue to do so that I may cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the matter about which they are boasting. And the word opportunity grabbed my attention because it's not the normal word for opportunity or season. It's the word aformi. And the word means it's a rushing to do something, a rushing into something. Uh, if Paul took any money for himself, if he would have chosen to do this from the church of Corinth, these false teachers would have rushed with a vengeance into this, using this as a criticism against him. And he said, I'm not going to give them that opportunity. These false apostles were opportunists and were looking for anything to make Paul look bad and themselves to look good. This would have played right into their hands had, they, had he done this. You see, these people were apostle wannabes, he says, to be regarded just as we are in the matter about which they were boasting. Well, like I said, Paul represents the good, and they represent the bad and the ugly. And let's look at these bad and ugly false teachers tonight and see some things about them. And you'll see at the end of the message why we need to be hearing this. It's not the comfortable passage, but when you're preaching through a book, you don't skip the next three verses. You have to you preach through them. So let's look at it and see what God wants us to understand. First of all, we need to understand their motive, their motive. Now, we're looking at the, the bad and the ugly. We're looking at the false teachers. He says in verse 13, for such men are false apostles. Now, you have to understand an apostle. An apostle in Paul's day, we don't have them like that today, but it's only in his day, was a God-appointed man and was in authority over the churches God assigned to him. But the key word to these false apostles is authority, power. These false teachers wanted to be recognized as apostles. Why? Because they wanted the authority, power over the churches there. So they set out to deceive the believers through false doctrine and ultimately to steal away their trust in the Apostle Paul and what he told them. In effect, if we could put it in and in summarize it, 
They sought to lead the people away from the truth of God's Word. That's what Paul was teaching them, and that's what they were actually trying to do. These false teachers were not simply deceived teachers. Now, we need to understand this. Uh, they were intentionally deceptive teachers. They knew good and well what they were doing from, from day one. Now, let me explain the difference in a deceived teacher and a deceptive teacher. You see, one who is simply ignorant or deceived, if he's a true believer, these people were not believers, but if he's a believer and he's, he's a true believer, and he's a true teacher, if he's ignorant or deceived about something, he will always welcome correction. He'll, he'll welcome it only when it comes from the Word, and he may wrestle with it, but he'll welcome it. God's Word rules his life. An example of that is that the second pastor of the church of Corinth had to have his doctrine corrected. His name was Apollos. In Acts 18, verses 24 through 26, just listen to what the Word, it, it, it'll describe itself. <clears throat> now, a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the Scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately, accurately, the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So there were some places he didn't have it all together, and they helped straighten him out, and he became the second pastor of the church of Corinth. So we're not talking about a person who can be deceived in a particular area or ignorant in a particular area, a learner who's willing to, to change if somebody corrects him in the Word of God. That's a deceived teacher. We're talking about deceptive teachers. These deceptive teachers, like I said, knew what they were doing. They were lost as they could be. They didn't know Christ. They intentionally lied to the Corinthians in order to degrade Paul and really to consolidate power within the Corinthian church. They wanted control. They wanted the power. There is no level that a false teacher will stoop to in order to be in control, and we need to learn this. Verse 13, it says again, for such men are false apostles. Now, the words false apostles are one word, is one word in the Greek, which is the word pseudo-apostolos. It comes from the word pseudes, which means false, and the word pseudome, which means a lie. And see, you see where they're coming from. Uh, the word apostolos is a word that describes, uh, the pseudo-apostolos is the word that describes these men. Now, these false apostles are sent out to deceive with a false message which will ultimately ruin people's lives. That's, what, that's our whole assignment. They know what they're doing. They know what they're tearing down. They know what they're trying to do. Now, in contrast, if you put a true Christian, up the good, up next to the bad and the ugly, a true Christian apostle like Paul was simply one who was sent out by Christ with the message of grace, the message of truth, which sets people free. You see the two contrasts here. And we, we've got to learn to recognize deceptive teachers. We've got to because they're still alive today. They're in churches everywhere. You've got to understand some of these things about them. Uh, we're just coming back from Israel. It's, it's so much on my mind. One of the common threads that wove itself throughout the whole trip for me, on this particular, it's my fifth time to be there, but on this particular trip, was the threat of deception and the threat of, of idolatry. It's been there. God's people have been faced with it forever. 
when we were at Megiddo and we saw the high places, that was where the pagan sacrifices were offered. When we were on Mount Carmel where Elijah challenged the priest of Baal and we saw the high place there where the, 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 the sacrifices were offered, the same in Laish, which was where the tribe of Dan disobeyed God. They didn't take the property God had given to them, and they took this little bitty area called Laish, renamed it Dan. They, they got sucked into idolatry. We saw the high places there, and they, they lost their whole identity. They're not even mentioned in the book of the Revelations. The same thing in Jerusalem. You have to understand the Islamic uh, uh, threat that's there, and every so many times a day, these minarets are there with loudspeakers, and they come on and they blare out this false message that's just constantly in your face. Everywhere we went, that was a common thread, idolatry and deception. And what we've got to understand is you don't have to go to Israel to see it. Hopefully, you have to get outside of the walls of Hoffmantown, but maybe not. There may be in this church people that are deceivers. And you've got to learn that their whole motive is, is to, to lie and to teach a message that will only bring ruin in your life. The lie and the liars are focused wherever they are, and they're out to seduce people's minds and lead them away. from, And, and, and they want to take control over the, the, the lives of people in God's church. So their motive is to deceive period. They're false apostles. False meaning they're liars. They're deceivers. And they have a message. Apostolos, a message. They're sent out with a false message. And they're everywhere. So that's the first thing I want you to see. But building on top of that is their method. You see, you, you first of all got to realize they're there. But then we have to understand what their method is. Verse 13, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. You see, these false teachers are deceitful in what they present. But I want you to make sure you understand, they said deceitful workers. They are hard workers at what they do. They're not lazy at all. The word deceitful in the phrase deceitful workers is the little Greek word dholios. It comes from the word dholos, which is the really key I want you to look at. This word, if you'll let it, will draw a picture for you to help you understand what Paul's talking about here. Tholos is the word that over the years evolved in Greece to mean fish bait. Huh. Now, we don't translate the scriptures with modern-day meanings of the Greek word. That's not what I'm saying. But this particular word begs for your attention. you got to picture this, fish bait. If you or I were in Greece today, we wanted to go fishing. We'd go down to the store and we'd buy some deceit. Tholos, that's the word there, fish bait. Uh, when that bait is lowered into the water, can't you see it now? That, that water that's flowing, and here's, here comes this big old juicy whatever it is, big old worm that's coming down in the water. But you see, on the outside, it looks good. To that fish that's going to come up and take it, it looks good. But there's something deceiving about it. On the inside, there's a what? There's a hook. That's what you've got to understand here. What's on the outside is deceptive, but there's a hook on the inside. With Stephanie, our daughter, and I had my son-in-law with me and my son and my son's best friend that lived with us for two years with me on this trip, and it was just a joy. But when Stephanie began to start dating, I let her start dating when she was 28. No, I, I used to carry a baseball bat, you know, meet him at the door. Matter of fact, I used that so many times 
that when Eric got married and, and I did the wedding, at the end of the wedding, they were walked down there. I went back and picked up the baseball bat. <laughs> I said, it works, you know. But when Stephanie was wanting to date, you know, some people start dating when they're four, but she was older than that. I said, Stephanie, I need to warn you about something. What's that, Daddy? I said, there's going to come a night when the moon is just right. The stars are going to be in your eyes, and the stars are going to be in his eyes, and he's going to look at you and say, Stephanie, I love you. And I said, Stephanie, don't you dare believe that redneck. I said, you back up about 30 feet and make him describe to you and define for you what he means by love because he may be on the outside saying what you want to hear, but he may be wanting something you don't want to give because underneath that which sounds so good to you has a hook. You've got to understand this about a false teacher. What they say appeals to the flesh. Oh, I love that. But there's a hook that you don't see if you're not discerning when you hear it. This, this is welcome to the method of the false teacher who will, he'll woo you and he'll wow you. He'll, he'll make your flesh feel good. But like I said, underneath, there's a hook. There's a price you don't want to pay. The word for workers there, deceitful workers. They're, they're false teachers. They're false apostles. They're deceitful workers. It's the word ergatis. And it's not a lazy word. It means to toil. It means to work hard. To, to the point of being weary. That's what it means. You see, while the church of Jesus Christ goes to sleep wanting their flesh to be entertained, these false teachers are busy planting their false message into everything and everyone that's around us. He says, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, hard workers at what they do, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. You see, this message involves a disguise. Not only is the message veiled, but they, they, it's a disguise. They come in differently, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Now, some translations translate this. They're transformed at themselves as, as, as apostles of Christ. But that can't be. That's a bad translation. Let me, let me explain why. If you have a Japanese garden and you decide to, to change it into an Italian garden, all you have done is just change the appearance of what was already a garden. It's, it was a garden before, it's a garden now. It's just a different type. But if you have an Italian garden and so suddenly you want to change it into a ballpark, <laughs> that's a transformation into something that it never was. The word that Paul uses here is not a complete transformation, but only a facelift to something that had remained the same. They were rotten to the core. They'd always been rotten to the core. They were deceitful. They were false. They just changed their appearance to make it look as if there were something else. I don't know if you remember Dr. W.A. Crystal. Anybody remember who he, he was at First Baptist Church of Dallas? And, and when you ever hear him, you ever heard him preach, he said, I'd like to you to turn tonight. And <laughs> just had that draw. Well, he preached at one of the big SBC meetings years ago. And there was a real controversy going on in the Southern Baptist Convention, just like every denomination has faced it, about the inerrancy of God's Word, the liberal versus the conservative movement. And he was in the pastor's conference. <laughs> and if you know anything about Dr. Criswell, you are not going to tell him what he's going to preach on. And they said, Dr. Criswell, you're the first one up. You can be a peacemaker. Don't say anything about the liberals and all the stuff. I know that bothers you, but please don't say anything about them. <laughs> 
That's like talking to a, door, to a wall. Dr. Criswell got up that night, I was there, and he starts off this way, and everybody knew where he was going. <laughs> he said, a skunk by any other name is still a skunk, and it smells just the same. <laughs> That's his first words that came out. Well, what he was saying is you might change its outward appearance, but it's still a skunk. It's exactly the word that Paul uses here. He's not using transform. They're not something new. They're trying to present themselves as what they really were not, what they had never been. These were deceivers from the get-go. So you've got to keep that in your mind. Now, their ultimate example, they have a great example for all deception, comes in verse 14. No wonder, it says, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Now, Paul has brought Satan up earlier. He calls him the, the serpent in verse 3 of chapter 11, the master of disguise, the master of being able to make the flesh feel good while at the same time having that hook within his message. In verse 3, he says in chapter 11, but I'm afraid that as the serpent de deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. So now he brings him up again as the master deceiver. And that's the example for these false teachers. They know he, he, he was able to do it with Eve. They're, they're going to be able to do it with God's people that are unaware. Uh, do you remember when Joshua was deceived by the Gibeonites? Remember, they came with old clothes and they came with old wineskins. And they said, oh, we're not from Canaan. We're from another land. And we would like for you to covenant with us and to protect us. And it says, Joshua did not consult God boy, how many times have we all got to go back and say, oh, what about I doing? And he entered into a covenant with these people that were just a few miles down the road that they were trying to conquer. And as a result of it, being honorable in any covenant you make before God stands that he and all of Israel had to suffer with that covenant for years and years and years to come. You see, this is what I'm trying to say. Jesus warns us about these people. Jesus warns us that the adversary, the devil, has his servants everywhere. And he's the greatest example of what deception is all about. In Matthew 7, 15 through 20, Jesus said, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. That's their disguise. But inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. And Paul's trying to say the same thing in 2 Corinthians. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. You know, the thought hits me from time to time, and I'll only be 63 this year, but over the years, will we as a church ever learn? Will we ever learn. These false teachers that Paul warns about are everywhere, and I want to promise you they don't wear a name tag that says, hi, I'm a false teacher. <laughs> they wear a disguise. They don't come on that way. They're out to deceive you by baiting you with a message that appeals to your flesh. But the price tag is that every deceptive teaching has that hook underneath that will ru bring ruin into your life. It sounds so good, but it brings about ruin. So what do we know about them so far? What about the bad and the ugly? First of all, their motive is to deceive you, period. That's what they're out to do. They know that, and they're good at it, and they work hard at it. But secondly, their method is by disguise. They don't wear name tags identifying themselves. 
They have to be, there's a discernment, and people, if they don't know God's Word, rarely are able to discern when they're not hearing it. Thirdly, is their master. Who, who's the one sending out these false apostles with this false message? Well, in verse 14 and 15, again, no wonder, for, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And then verse 15, therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. Now, Paul identifies them as servants of Satan himself. That's, that's the ones doing his bidding on this earth. And now we see the disguise that they wear, a servant of righteousness. That's the way they want you to think about them. So they know all the right words. They know all the right phrases. They all know all the buttons to push, and you have to be very careful to make sure you're hearing from God when, when these people are around. The word servant is a word, theokonos, which means just that, to serve. They come on as a servant, a minister. But they're everything but servants of righteousness. They're very dangerous, dangerous people. In Jude, we learn some of the things that these people do. They sneak in quietly. Uh, these servants of righteousness, they twist, for instance, the message of grace, this wonderful freeing message of grace that we seek to preach. They twist it and make it a message of license. In other words, you, you're under grace. You can just do whatever you want to do. Jude, verse 4, for certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly persons who turn the grace of God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Licentiousness there is the word that means license. Oh, listen, I, I was in a conference out in California, and a guy got up, and he said, Listen, man, we're under grace. Just do whatever you want to do this week. If you don't want to come to the meetings, just stay in your room, get you a, a good bottle of wine, and just enjoy yourself, man. You're under grace. I thought to myself, dear God, it's nothing to do with grace. But these people will take the message of grace, twist it to make it sound like, listen, I want to make sure you understand, grace is never the license to do as you please. Grace is the power to do as you should. It's Christ living in you. It's, it's as you learn to obey and to walk by faith, it's Christ then doing through you what you couldn't do before. In 2 Peter, Peter talks about these so-called servants of righteousness, doesn't use those words, same thing Paul's talking about, how they traffic their message, how it is that they slip this message in when people aren't looking. You have to understand that a false teacher knows what he's doing, and he knows that truth to get you interested, and then he'll put his arrow right beside it, and then when you're not looking, he'll pick up the arrow, and nobody knows the difference. It says in verse 1 of 2 Peter 2, but false prophets arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly, they don't do this with a name tag and a banner. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. And the word false words there, they'll exploit you with false words, is the word plastos. Plastos is the word we get the word plastic from. And they'll emotionally charge your flesh. They'll get you so emotional, you'll think you're worshiping. And then when your flesh is, is all charged, they will take it just like you do with plastic. You heat it, and then you take words that you think you know the definition to, but they twist it and make it mean something else, and that's the way they begin to ease that false message into the church of Jesus Christ. 
These are evil, fleshly-minded deceivers, and they're out to pervert the message that we sung about a while ago, the message of God's grace, the message of the gospel. But remember that what Paul's dealing with here is not really to show who the false teachers are as much as the, the scary thing is. Now listen, the believers in Corinth were listening to them. That's the problem. Not only were they listening to them, they were paying for their upkeep. Now that's part of the problem right there. When God's people don't have the discernment between the two. Well, let me comfort you. You say, Wayne, boy, it's a tough message. I know, I, I didn't write 2 Corinthians and I can't skip these, these verses. It is a tough message, but I think it's one we need to understand. Let me give you some comfort. You can mark these words, write them wherever you want to write them. They will never get away with what they've done. They will never get away with what they've done. In fact, listen, you don't mess with God's truth and you don't mess with God's people. The last part of verse 15 says, whose end will be according to their deeds. The word end is the word telos, which means the final end, judgment. You see, we may never witness their judgment here on this earth. We may see them prosper. We may see them do all kinds of things. And you say, good grief, where's the righteousness of God in all this? But one day, when they stand before him, it will be brought out at their end, the end, the final end, when they face judgment. Peter said their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Don't you think for one second they're going to ever get away with it? They will not get away with it. The bad and the ugly. Their motive is to deceive you and me. Their method is by using disguise and their master is none other than the devil himself. The bad and the ugly. So I think now you begin to understand the good, Paul, and the bad and the ugly. You say, Wayne, I appreciate this. No, you're teaching through the book. I understand all that. But this really doesn't bother me. I, I'm, it's not really my problem, Wayne. I, I'm not going to be deceived, and I'm in the Word, and I'm okay. So do, let's just move on to something else. Well, before you think that, let me read you a little story that was sent to me in email this week that sort of nails it. A mouse looked through the crack in the wall to see the farmer and his wife open a package. What food this might contain, the mouse wondered. He was devastated to discover it was a mouse trap. Retreating to the farmyard, the mouse proclaimed the warning. There's a mouse trap in the house. There's a mouse trap in the house. The chicken clucked and scratched, raised her head and said, Mr. Mouse, I, I can tell this is a grave concern to you, but it's of no consequence to me. I cannot be bothered by it. The mouse turned to the pig and told him, there's a mousetrap in the house. There's a mousetrap in the house. The pig sympathized but said, I'm so very sorry, Mr. Mouse. There's nothing I can do about it but pray. Be assured of my prayers. The mouse turned to the cow and said, there's a mousetrap in the house. There's a mousetrap in the house. The cow said, wow, Mr. Mouse, I'm sorry for you, but it's no skin off my nose. So the mouse returned to his house, head down and dejected to, de to face the farmer's mousetrap alone. That very night, a sound was heard throughout the house, like the sound of a mousetrap catching its prey. The farmer's wife rushed to see what was caught. In the darkness, she did not see that it was a venomous snake whose tail the trap had caught. 
The snake bit the farmer's wife. The farmer rushed her to the hospital, and she returned home with fever. Everyone knows you treat a fever with fresh chicken soup. So the farmer took his hatchet to the farmyard for the soup's main ingredient. But his wife's sickness continued. Friends and neighbors came to sit with her around the clock. To feed them, the farmer had to butcher the pig. The farmer's wife did not get well. In fact, she died. So many people came to her funeral, the farmer had the cow slaughtered to provide enough food for all of them. The mouse looked upon it from his crack in the wall with great sadness. He tried to warn them. So the next time you hear about deception being in the church and think it doesn't concern you, remember, when one is deceived, we're all at risk. What affects one ends up affecting us all. It's all our problem, folks. There's the good. There is the good. That's Paul. That's the true teacher of God's Word. We've seen his heart. We've seen his humility. But there is the bad and there is the ugly, and we cannot walk around as if they're not there. We need to recognize it and to cut the cancer out of the body so that God's truth can be the foundation on which we stand. Jesus being the living foundation, the, his word being the essence of what holds us up. And that's verse 12 through 15. To be honest with you, I wish it was a different passage. I wish we could laugh more and have more fun. But that's just the way it is. That's what we need to face. Deception is everywhere. Let me ask you a question before we have time of closing out tonight. Who are you listening to? What are you listening to? What are you reading? Have you checked out to see whether or not it's true and matches with the Word of God? Be real careful. Be real careful. It, they don't have a name tag that says, Hello, I'm a deceiver, and I'm out to ruin your life. They come on as people who make your flesh feel so much better. Look out. Look out. For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org.